Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I do apologize that I am a little late, not not as late as I have been in the past with getting you out your uh, bi-monthly podcast, um, but I, I think I'm just a couple of days off, so I'm, I'm still not going to be too hard on myself because... Remember, I was committing to getting myself back on schedule and making sure that you guys were getting your podcasts every two weeks. And I feel at least for the last couple months, I've been much better about that. Okay, enough about me. Let's get to some books here. So uh, today what I'm going to do is uh, I, I actually read two books, well, three books really. And I, <laughs> I've been I've been very hesitant, uh, you know, with my podcast to to talk about these issues just because there's just so much to unpack. There's so much to discuss and it's very difficult, but I, I just felt like now was probably the right time given what's going on in the world to to try to read a little bit more about um, the racial problems that we are having in the United States. And so I did what most people do I think who wanted to learn more about this and I went on to Amazon and I looked up uh, you know books about race relations and there were three books well four books uh, that popped up um, one of them I, I had already read uh, a few months ago White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo and then there were two shorter books which I also decided to read so I'm going to try to do a quick review of both of those books and just to give you, and if you are new to the channel, you haven't really been here before, um, I should probably tell you right now what I try to do with my my podcast is uh, I mostly review books that work on, I guess, some aspect of of improving your your habits or improving your your thought processes or something historical that may help give you better context with going forward in life. And so just basically books that can help improve you as a person. And, and, and certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover. Sometimes these books might fall into uh, the category of um, philosophy, sometimes behavioral economics, uh, sometimes politics. And so I, I thought that it was certainly I mean, of course, these books are almost exclusively nonfiction. Um but I, I thought it was appropriate to 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 you know look over and review some of these books. Now the the two books that I'm going to be reviewing are going to kind of be at the same time. And again, when I say review, I I think that's a bit of a loose term. I'm I'm not necessarily evaluating whether the book was was any good or not. I'm just trying to explain how the experience of reading the book may have increased, shifted. Uh, altered or improved my own thinking uh, on the subject. So the two books that I'm going to be discussing today are, the first one is 
called Me and White Supremacy by Layla Sayad. And then the second book I'm going to be reviewing uh, very quickly, uh, they more or less talk about the same concept, is So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo. And apparently, if you go on in on Amazon, these two books, along with the Robin D'Angelo book that I mentioned earlier, are both like the top selling <laughs> nonfiction books on Amazon right now. Like they're they're seriously ranked like number one, number two, and number three. So this has just definitely been a topic and a subject that has really been interesting. People, they want to learn about it. They want to know about race relations. They want to see, is there something maybe that, that can be done, you know, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I do too. So this is why I read the books and I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I don't really know if uh, it's not, let me see. It's not even that I necessarily disagree with a lot of what the authors say. It's just that I think that there's a big problem with how the subject is being approached, but I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. Let me first just give you an overview of the books to begin with. Okay, so the first book, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Sayad. So um, be, before I go any further, you should probably know a little bit about me. I'm a pretty, I'm a, I'm a white male, heterosexual. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, California. Um, I am... Uh, to my knowledge, I'd like to think of myself as a pretty friendly, open-minded person. I I do not in any way, shape, or form consider myself to be uh, hateful, a racist, um, you know, an oppressor, or or anything of of that nature. So when so keep that in mind as I'm reviewing these books that this is the perspective that you're going to get from me. Okay, so you know, just be aware of that. Now, what Leila Sayad does in her book, I, which I think is fascinating, is she doesn't really try to, she, she first of all, she comes out and she says immediately, she says, look, um, this book is written for white people. Okay, so white people, this book is for you. And I, I thought that was pretty aggressive, but not nearly as aggressive as what she's going to state, you know, in her next uh, upcoming chapters. She says, well, listen. There's no sense in us talking about whether or not you are a racist and an oppressor. By virtue of the fact that you are a white person, you are a racist and an oppressor. You might not have done it intentionally, but because you live in this society of the United States, this is already the the basic tenets of white supremacy and racism have already been instilled into you. So you're operating as a racist and as a white supremacist, even if it's on a subconscious level, you are still part of the problem and you need to fix it. Okay, so <laughs> as you can see, very, very to the point, very aggressive, not even going to try to argue whether or not you fall into this category, you're in this category, now what are you going to do about it? And so apparently what her book, I, I, from what I could gather, it seems like she had a, uh, a website, uh, I guess a blog, where she was challenging white people to be better white people, and she would give, I guess, these uh, these challenges, and then she eventually took all these challenges and she wrapped it up into a book, and the book, of course, you know, became a big hit. And her book is basically about a lot of it is kind of reflective journaling, where you just write down your own thoughts and ideas on on a certain subject. 
And so like she 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 basically has she talks about these different concepts and and there's a lot. I, I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'll talk about a few of them. And she wants people to she wants white people specifically to think about these concepts and then write down how they have participated um, in, in creating this racist world and, and what they're going to do about it. So some of these concepts include um, here's just a few of them that stuck out in my mind. One of them is called white silence. And I, I, I definitely think that this is something that I have probably been guilty of in, in my lifetime. And white silence is basically when white people who don't necessarily have aggressive or uh, outwardly racist um, tendencies or, or speech, but they maybe they get around other people, especially family members, and they hear things that you know, are offensive or racist and they, they just don't really say anything about it. They're kind of, they're complicit because they don't, they don't want to create any sort of strife or arguments or anything like that. But, but in doing so, they're, they're continuing to perpetuate uh, the system of racism that we have in the United States. Then there was the concept of white privilege and white privilege. I'll, I'll give you, don't worry, I will give you my thoughts on, on, these concepts uh, a little bit later, but right now I just want to go over the, the book. Uh, white privilege is basically the idea that if somebody is white, they already have what, what I think she says, unearned advantages in life, meaning that it'll be easier for a white person to get a job. It'll be, you know, they don't have to worry about police violence. Not really. Um, they don't, uh, I, I, there, there's like a million of them, but basically you're going to have a much easier time in life because you're going to be treated better because you're white. Okay, that's that's basically what white privilege is. And then um, some of the other ones were like these this concept called microaggressions. And a microaggression is, gosh, okay, a microaggression, it appears to me, is when somebody says something offensive um, that's not necessarily outwardly racially offensive, but it seems to have a hint of being uh, racially offensive. And the person might not have known what they said was, but they've just been so heavily indoctrinated into the system that they are not necessarily aware that they have made a racially offensive statement. Like, for example, one of the ones they said is like, like if a white person says, um, oh, that is just so ghetto. Okay, so that would be like a microaggression because you, when you, when you, you basically, most people would subconsciously automatically compare ghetto to black. And when you make this sort of pejorative comment about something being, you know, ghetto, you're, you're, you're saying that it's, it's low class, it's bad, and you're associating that immediately with black people. I actually, when I was in graduate school, I got accused by uh, one of my professors for making a microaggression. I didn't. I didn't even realize I had done it. Uh, what it, What had happened was I was interviewing. Um, uh, I was interviewing teachers, and I was basically trying to get their ideas about their own mental uh, their 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 own mental sanity, basically, when it comes to dealing with classroom behavior problems. That was what my graduate research is. I'm not going to bore you with that. I'm not going to take us on a tangent. But basically, one of the people who I I interviewed was a, a woman who uh, was an Asian woman and she was quiet. She just, she was very reserved. I mean, that's just my, that's my opinion of her. And I, I said in my research, I interviewed 
this person, let, let's call her Martha, uh, a quiet Asian woman in her 50s. And then, you know, I proceeded to go on with our conversation. And my professor immediately jumped down and said, that was a microaggression. You are basically, uh, you're, you're insinuating that, that Asian women are, are quiet and passive. And that feeds into a, a cultural stereotype. So I mean I, I mean I, I changed my paper. I mean I was pretty I, I was pretty shocked. I didn't realize I'd done that. but that's kind of I guess what a microaggression is is when you either usually subconsciously you make some sort of a statement that enhances a negative racial stereotype. okay. Um, so now basically uh, how I personally feel about this book is, it kind of gets back to this this whole concept of you can change society by by educating people, by giving people the information that they need. And once they become aware of these bad things that they're doing, then they're going to stop. I mean, I personally think that that's pretty ridiculous, if you ask me. If if all it really takes is just education in order to change people, <laughs> then we wouldn't really have climate change problems. I think that climate change is a problem that might end humanity as we know it, and maybe even in my lifetime, okay? And we have all the information in the world. We have, you know, data, uh, charts, we have scientists, we have climate experts we have books upon books and videos i mean you you name it there we could not possibly have more information than we do uh on climate change but you know i don't think anybody's really changing their energy consumption habits i don't think we're really uh as as a country making a strong stand to commit to environmentalism or green energy or anything like that so so no, I don't. I don't think that simply by telling people the problem that that's somehow going to to really change anything. As, as a matter of fact, and I, I don't mean to be cynical about this, but I don't really think anything changes uh, unless you you change the laws that govern society. Um, it kind of reminds me. Uh, there were these. I guess um, there was a group. This is you know we're going back maybe five years ago, uh, there was a, a group of Black Lives Matter uh, people who who came and they visited Hillary Clinton when she was running against Donald Trump. And they were saying, they this, this, the one guy I, I think asked uh, Hillary Clinton, he said, uh, what are you going to do to change the hearts of people regarding the situation that black people are in? And the one thing that Hillary said that I really agreed with, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a Hillary supporter myself, but the the... Well, I'm, I should probably tell you I'm not a Donald Trump supporter either. I, I voted for the Green Party. But the one thing she said that has kind of stuck with me that I've thought about is she said, you don't change people's hearts. You change the laws. And and that's just really the, the reality, okay? Because I believe that black people's, the problem facing black people mostly is that they're poor, okay? Um, whether people are racist or not, I think largely becomes a lot less relevant if you have wealth and if you have resources, okay? So if we're not going to deal with laws that will specifically help black people gain wealth and resources, 
then I think this is just all symbolic change that maybe makes us feel good. Maybe it alleviates some guilt, but I don't think it actually changes things too much. Okay, I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself. So let me let me let me rewind it in and I, I promise I'll come back to this in a little bit. Like I said, this topic is just so huge and so meaningful that I, I could probably do 20 podcasts on this and I'd still just be scratching the surface of my own thoughts and ideas on the subject. Okay. Now um, I should probably tell you about this author, Layla Syad. She is not an American, but I would say about 95% of her book discusses the racial problems in America that have been well documented, uh, mostly the the police killings of, um, you know, situations of like Michael Brown, um, uh, George Floyd, you know, she had already written the book before that situation had happened, but those kind of situations where, you know, you'd have unarmed black people who were killed by police, it was documented with video footage, and what I find fascinating about what's going on in the world right now is that people are protesting from around the world about something that happened in the United States. Like, I would think, like, if there was some sort of, you know, human rights abuse in, say, Tokyo, (laughs) you would never be able to, you know, get thousands and thousands of people to march in the streets to protest what just happened in Tokyo or Johannesburg or Berlin or wherever else these protests are going on. And I, I can't, I mean, people seem to be more interested in what's going on in the United States than they are in their own countries. And and I, I don't think that that's a hyperbole. I'll, I'll, let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, my wife and I, we traveled to Australia. Uh, and my wife has some family that lives in Australia. And uh, two of her, her cousins, um, these two teenage girls, really nice kids. I, I very much enjoyed spending time with them. They We were talking and they had said, yeah, you know... Uh, what's going on with like the black lives matter and then the the you know the the election of donald trump and and all these other things that were very you know relevant to what was going on in the united states and when i had asked them about some things going on in local politics or local situations they didn't really know they said yeah we had a, an election for our our president of australia but i i'm not even really sure who was running to be honest with you and, and I could remember when we were in, um, we were traveling in Korea, and the 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 front page of the papers in Korea were almost exclusively about Donald Trump as as well. And I, I, and, and the woman who wrote the book, uh, Me and White Supremacy, Leila Syed, <clears throat> she's actually um, a woman who lives in Qatar, and I found this fascinating because. Qatar is a country where the human rights abuses are millions of times worse than any racism that goes on in the United States. I mean, we're talking about women not being able to, not being allowed to leave their house without a male escort. They have to be covered from head to toe. Um, they're not allowed to be viewed by by other people on the streets. Um, when it comes to building the World Cup stadiums, there have been hundreds and hundreds of people who have died on these construction sites because of negligence. I think there are like parts of slavery that have been sanctioned and legalized in some respects. So why Leila Syed, you know, a Qatari woman who should be putting all of her energies into fixing her own country, why she wants to exclusively talk about the United States? I, I really think it's because there's great optimism when it comes to the United States. We as a country believe, no, we as the world believe that maybe if we can change the United States, 
then that will have some carryover effect for the rest of the world. I, I, I mean, I, I really think that it's just absolutely mind-blowing how much the world cares about what goes on in the United States, even much more so than what goes on in their own countries uh, in, in, in many respects. So, I, and, and I think that... I think that both of these authors really, but probably more so Leila Syed, I, I think that they, I think the book is a little disingenuous, if I'm going to be honest with you, in that there is a lot of guilt uh, amongst white people in the United States. And believe me, I know a lot of white people in the United States. I happen to be one myself. And when it comes to the whole concept of of slavery, um, and then, you know, the human rights abuses that black people have faced since then, there's just a lot of guilt in the sense that, you know, how could we have let something so horrific beyond what words could ever describe uh, happen in, in our country? It should have been impossible. You know, why did we have to fight a war that killed more people than like every other war the United States has been in combined just to stop the institution of, of slavery? It, it, basically, it, it nearly split our country into two. And when it comes to this, I, I think that there are there's a large segment of white people who want to believe that if they read these kind of books and they start trying to, uh, you know, educate others on the racial disparities in America and so on and so forth, then then somehow they're they're redeeming themselves. OK, and I just don't think that if these authors were to talk about other subjects of other human rights abuses around the world, I just don't think that their books would sell very well, honestly, because it's just not as it's not as interesting as racial problems that are happening in the United States. It's not they just the media doesn't cover these things the same way that they do in the United States. So so there's that now. The other book I reviewed, so you want to talk about race by Igiomo Aluo. This I thought was a much more nuanced view of racial problems that are going on in the United States. And I think the author is a bit more realistic and sophisticated uh, when it comes to how to handle this. Like the author comes right out and says like people who are in white supremacist groups, um, you know, KKK groups and those kind of things. They, she said there's only a handful of them they really don't have very much sway or power. They're on the fringes. We we have pretty much universally condemned them in the United States. Every once in a while, like 20 or 30 of them will get out and do like a parade or something. And they're almost, and then there'll be thousands and thousands of anti, you know, uh, people, you know, anti-white supremacist people who are going to come out and shout them down. So these people are on the fringes. She knows that. And and she talks a lot about uh, pretty much a lot of the same things that Leila Syed does when it comes to you know, the white silence and the, the tone policing, the microaggressions, the white privilege. But I think I think IGOMA is much more along the lines of it's going to take more than just conversations to improve the lives of black people. And this is why I was so disappointed with Leila Syed and IGOMA's book and even Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility book that none of them really talked about the one thing that black people need so desperately, and that is direct, focused financial resources um, streamed into their communities directly. Okay, some people call it reparations. Some people, you know, just call it uh, government grants. 
whatever you want to call it, this is the only way, in my opinion, that the situation for black people will change. I read some, I remember when I was in graduate school and this class that I took, the professor said that even if another single, even if there was not another single racial uh, incident took place in the United States, it still would not do anything to change the financial situation that black people are in. What well, well, the statistic that I read is um, they said that collectively speaking, and I, I realize that a lot of this just has to do with home ownership. Um, the I think the average white family has uh, a value, a home value. I'm not excuse me, but a collected uh, home worth of around a hundred thousand dollars, and the average black family has uh, a median household worth of somewhere between five hundred to to a thousand dollars. Or my statistics might be off, but they're around there somewhere. There's just no possible way that that black people can that we, we could stop all the microaggressions in the world. We could stop all the police killings, you know, in the world, um, and it it would not make a dent in the financial situation that black people are in. It it reminds me of the the French uh, feminist Simone de Beauvoir. And what happened was they some people came up to to her and they asked her. They said, "Do you, what is more important? Is it more important for uh, women? You know, she was fighting for women's rights at the time. Is it more important for women to have financial equality or social equality?" And she immediately answered without hesitation, "Financial equality." And that's how I think as well. Okay, and if in all the things that I'm starting to see right now, I'm starting to see like murals being painted like I think uh like the the mayor of New York Bill de Blasio he wants to paint a Black Lives Matter mural across the street from Trump Tower or there's been like statues that are being pulled down or um I I think I've seen like businesses running commercials saying you know we stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter okay listen <laughs> I I think they're nice gestures and um I I don't know. I guess it's better than doing nothing. But but in reality, if we're not committed to changing government funding structures, then this is really just all lip service that unfortunately I think is just disingenuous and I think is just a way for people to relieve some of their own guilt about the situation that's going on without really having to change anything that is substantial. But I might be a little bit jaded on the subject. Okay. Uh, I know this podcast has ran a little bit longer than I was anticipating. Uh, like I said before, I could talk about this for hours. Um, I will commit to reading more of these books. I will do more podcasts on this if if uh, people are interested in more of my perspective on it. Um, but if nothing else, you you will definitely at least question your own thoughts, your own ideas about white supremacy, white privilege, uh, tone policing and all these other concepts. If you read the books Me and White Supremacy by Leila Syed or So You Want to Talk About Race by Igioma Aluo. Um, and that's all for now. Uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks with another book review. I'm not sure what it is that I'm going to be uh, reviewing, but I will get something good for you. Uh, in the meantime, if it's not too much trouble, if you could go, if you're listening to me, uh, my podcast through iTunes or Stitcher, um, or Podbean, and you want me to continue doing this, uh, you know, it would be very helpful for me if you would just leave me a nice review, 
uh, subscribe to the station because it's just very validating and, and it, it gives me the energy boost to continue to give you this content. But as always, I just want to thank you for getting to the end of these episodes. It's it's very, like even if only one person is listening, it's still very validating to know that people are interested in my own thoughts and perspectives in terms of helping you gain some new insights and some new ideas. Nobody's asking you to agree, just asking you to think about some other perspectives. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. Until then, happy reading.